Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Welcome to episode 72 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Now, as you can probably tell, Bella isn't here for this intro. She was here for the interview, so don't go tuning out now because Bella isn't here because she actually is for the interview. And we've got a really good interview coming up for you today. But before we go into that, I do want to ask you a favour. I would like you guys, if possible, to tell a friend about the podcast. Try and spread the word if you can. Share it on your Facebook page, anything like that. Anything that you can do to help grow our subscriber list, that would be absolutely amazing. Drop us a review if you can, wherever you listen to it, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever else you can leave reviews, please do. You know, Sometimes we sit in the room here in our little studio that we've made and we we talk into these microphones and it's only really from you guys coming back to us with things and reviewing us and putting it out there that you enjoy the show that we actually get that feel-good factor of, of actually feeling like we're achieving something. So apart from making us feel good, which obviously you know would be really nice, it also will help grow the show. And once we grow the show, we can get more guests and it gives us a little bit more sort of power in the podcasting community to do some of the things that we want to be able to do. So that would really, really help us if you could do that. There's another little favour as well. You've heard us mention before, and in fact, we've shared one of their episodes on our feed, and that is The Adventures of Nichols and Spud. If you could go along there and show them your support, that would be absolutely amazing. Have a look at them there on all the places you can get our show. So go along, subscribe to their show and have a listen. If you don't know, I'm actually doing a couple of voices in there myself as well of a few characters. It is something you can actually get your kids listening to. So with this show, obviously, if you've got youngsters listening to it, then sometimes we cover some topics and we use some language that isn't always suitable. But The Adventures of Nicholson Spud is so have a listen to that if you want. And like I said, it is family friendly so you can reach them as i said at all of your normal favorite podcast apps they are on facebook as well they're on instagram as well and they have a website and their website is www.spudandnick.com it's produced by lake avaline entertainment and they are absolutely fantastic with what they do and it's really good fun doing the show so i think we are we've recorded about seven or eight episodes yet and i think there's about four or five up on the feed so have a listen and follow the adventures it really is a good show anyway on with our show today we've got a really fantastic interview this guy's name is philip jackson and he actually is a brit who has moved to japan he is going to regale us with some of the stories that he has come across during his work as an historian leading people on historical walks through Kyoto. 
in Japan. Some of the stories, some of the paranormal stories that he's got are absolutely amazing. And it's really interesting, actually, to hear the difference between the way the Japanese react to and feel about paranormal stories and what we do. So have a listen to this. It's really good. And as I say, some of the stories throughout this will will really surprise and shock you. So take a listen. Hope you enjoy the show. Okay, so please welcome to the show all the way from Japan, Philip Jackson. Hi, Philip. Hi, Philip. Hi, good to speak with you. And you. Now, I'm not detecting a Japanese accent there. You're obviously from this side of the world. What took you to Japan? I first came to Japan in 1998. My wife is Japanese. And between 98 and a few years after that, we would come to Japan, visit family. We lived here from 2003 to 2007, back in the UK for a few years, and then back to Japan in 2012. And we've been here in Kyoto, Japan since 2012. What we're predominantly going to be talking about is a book and a series of books, actually, that you have been writing about Japan and about some of the walks and some of the folklore. Is that right? Yes. So I put out a series of books. They're called Hidden Paths, Walking Historical Kyoto. And basically, the reason I started doing that was that we get a lot of tourists here in Kyoto, and they all tend to go to the same places. And a lot of really interesting places in Kyoto, a lot of the tourists just just don't go to them because they don't know about it. It's not in the tour guides. And when you've been living here for a, a number of years, you get to know all these places and all the stories that go with it. So I decided to put some walking guides together and put the books out. And as I started doing more and more of that, I started to learn a lot more about Kyoto and and the backstory behind the history that's behind those places as well. Well, we watched recently a show with James May. Do you know James May from Top Gear? Uh, Yes, I do, yeah. Yeah. He he did a show. That's right, yeah, he recently did it. And it was surprising, really, how different the culture is in Japan to uh, that in the UK. What differences did you find and how have you adjusted? I think if you're new to Japan or you're not here very long it does seem very alien in a way it's, it can be like a different world in, in many respects but also on the other hand it's it's very similar you know all, all the things that you can get in the uk or any first world country you can get here so obviously there's there's different kind of ceremonial processes different day-to-day processes but you know, the longer you're here, the more you get used to it. And then eventually it just becomes second nature, really. I dare say if I went back to the UK, I would have to retrain my brain all over again to get used to the UK. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I suppose it's been that little bit easier for you having a Japanese wife who I suppose has been able yeah. to school you in the culture. Um, put me in the right direction. Exactly. I think that if I went over there, I'd be worried about offending people because I know that, you know, there are certain... You should worry about offending people here. Okay. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I should. <laughs> you recently celebrated there a festival, Setsuban. Is that right? Yeah, that was about a month ago. So, yeah, with, within Japanese folklore, and there's lots of festivals that revolve around the folklore. Setsuban is connected to springtime. So, it would herald the start of spring. And as part of that festival, people would dress up as a demon and come into the household, and the children in the household throw dried beans at the demon, shouting demons out, happiness in. And it, it, it basically celebrates sending away the bad spirits from the previous year and bringing in happiness and all good luck for the for the year that's to come. Reminds me of Halloween. But it's quite a big festival in Japan. 
Yeah, somebody else said that to me recently as well. There's a there's another festival in August which is probably closer to Halloween than Setsubun. There's a festival called Obon, and that's basically a time when historically families welcome back the spirits of past ancestors, family members. So they welcome them back to the household for a few days, and then after, at the end of the festival they would return. And it, it's very nice in Kyoto actually because Kyoto, the city, is is almost surrounded by mountains. And in the mountains, they light fires for Obon. And the fires are positioned in patterns or in a particular way that make images or, or Japanese writing. So, for example, one set of fires is laid out in the design of a boat. And another set of fires is laid out in the design of a gate. So the, the boat represents taking the the spirits of the past family members from the spirit world here and also back and then through the gate back to the spirit world. You know, maybe the, the two of them together have got elements of Halloween about. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. It is interesting when you think about the fact of how this is all perceived differently around the world. I mean, do you think that the subject around spirits and ghosts, etc., is more about learning from sort of wise spirits and and something that should be respected rather than we're finding in this country at the moment that with certain tv shows and certain paranormal groups if you like going out to these haunted locations and almost using it as entertainment which i guess we're doing here right now anyway but although we're discussing spirits now we're not necessarily going to where they are and potentially disturbing them and you know sort of winding them up i suppose you know would be a fair fair thing to say do you think that it's maybe dealt with with a little bit more respect in japan it is quite different i mean we don't have tv shows here like most haunted those kind of tv shows there are tv shows where they might have a section of the show where they they do something a little bit like that and i've seen that but they don't there's not really shows where they focus on that as a whole tv show and things like those festivals Past the spirits of the past ancestors are in those festivals there, as you say, maybe teaching a lesson or, or revered. There are elements of, you know, ghost tales and paranormal where they take on a childish nature, like for children's comics or TV shows. There is a big element of that. But the festivals, definitely, there is usually some kind of either a, a lesson or a meeting up with family members. There's an, another festival called Namahage. And that's sort of like a New Year festival. And that's based around North Japan, but they do have similar ones in in different parts of the country. But Namahage, going back to about 100 BC, Emperor Wu of China came to North Japan. And his purpose of coming over was to look for medicinal plants for make some kind of elixir of immortality. And he brought over with him five bats. And those bats turned into demons and one day he gave them a day off to rest. Uh, the, the demons had been working hard for him. And these demons went down into the villages from the mountain where they were living and stole crops and stole animals and, and kidnapped young women from the villages. So there are kind of scary stories behind these festivals as well. And what happened was that the, the villagers made a deal with Emperor Wu that if in one single night the demons could build 1,000 steps from the bottom of the mountain up to the top, to a, a shrine at the top of the mountain, then they would, for want of a better word, sacrifice a young woman every year to the demons to appease them. Nice. So they took. <laughs> so there are kind of 
you know, other sides, you know, kind of scary side to it as well. But the deal they made was that if they couldn't make these 1,000 steps, then the demons would never return again. And the villagers thought there's no chance they can ever complete this task. And so the demons set about building these steps and they got to step number 999 and it still wasn't morning. So it was obvious they were going to complete the task. So the, the villagers started to panic and one quite clever villager came up with an idea and he started imitating the cock-a-doodle-doo of the, the morning cockerel the roosters and tricked the demons into thinking it was already morning <laughs> and the demons thought they failed and they went back up the mountain they were never to return again and that festival now has turned into uh, a lesson teaching sort of festival in that it is new year but men will dress up as these demons and really quite scary costumes come into the households looking for small children asking are there any uh, badly behaved children in the households that they've come to to get them and come to scare them and you know they usually show some clips on on tv and there's trauma scenes of terrified children being told that they mustn't be naughty uh -huh. wow. <laughs> it's a little bit different than wait till your father gets home <laughs> yeah, yeah wait till the demons are here yeah. <laughs> you wait yeah God, so there are a lot of festivals like that where they involve, you know, the kind of folklore, sort of paranormal ghosts and things like that. But, you know, there's sort of like a lesson behind it and the spirits are revered in many of these festivals as well. And there's sort of like a, something to be learned from it at the end of it. Uh, yeah. In this country, obviously, we've got Father Christmas. And I know that if you go east of here to Germany and places like that, you've got things like Krampus, which, again, is a little bit more of a, a scary sort of figure, but based around that time of the year. What happens around sort of Christmas time or, or that time of the year? Is there anything like that there that, you know, children, we, you know, while we're on the subject of children, that is used again to try and keep children in line? Not in the same way as in the West. We have Christmas here. There is Santa, but it's not a national holiday. It's not really celebrated. The big event around that time of year in Japan is New Year. That's traditionally a time where families get together. If you imagine UK Christmas where families come together and, and have a meal together and celebrate, that's New Year in Japan. Right. Quite often, children are given small envelopes with, with money inside as a, a present on New Year from their relations. Yeah, that, that's kind of... The feeling is very similar, you know, families coming together. Yeah, Christmas isn't isn't really the same same here as the, back in the UK. Christmas is so commercialized anyway, and it's, it's lost its meaning, I think. You sent us some stories that you've yeah. obviously picked up upon your travels, and I was really interested to hear about the screams in the forest of the ghostly samurai. Ah, Akechi Mitsuhide. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, I noticed you're all like <laughs> describing him so you don't have to. Get... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But that's actually just down the road from where I live, actually. It's quite close to here. So I, I visited that, that place a couple of times to, to check it out. But yeah, basically, the backstory to that is that it goes back to 1582. And at the time, the de facto shogun was a samurai warlord called Oda Nobunaga. And um, there was a, a a shogun at the time, the Ashikaga shogun, but basically it was all run by Oda Nobunaga. And Akechi Mitsuhide was a retainer of Oda, but he was a disgruntled retainer. He wasn't wasn't very happy. There'd, there'd been some incidents, and there's there's a few stories behind it. A treaty that Oda had made, he'd he'd gone back on, and in the end, it had turned out that Akechi's mother had been killed by one of Oda's enemies. So. 
Takechi Mitsuhide turned against Oda Nobunaga. And Oda at the time was staying at a place called Honoji in Kyoto. And uh, he wasn't expecting to be attacked, so he didn't have any of his soldiers, forces with him at the time. And Akechi surrounded Honoji with his, with his armed forces and set fire to it. And Oda Nobunaga inside, knowing he was going to be killed by Akechi, he, he committed suicide. He killed himself. His son escaped. They caught his son and they killed him. Then Akechi Mitsuhede took his soldiers and uh, headed to a place called Yamazaki, which is halfway between uh, Kyoto and Osaka, and uh, to the castle there. Uh, there was another samurai lord who was loyal to Nobunaga, and his name was Toyotomi Hideyoshi. But he was in a different part of Japan at the time. He was involved in the siege with a group called the Mori clan. And Akechi Mitsuhide tried to get a message to the Mori clan to let them know what had happened and join forces. But this message was intercepted by Toyotomi Hideyoshi. He made a treaty with the Mori clan and then headed off to fight Akechi. He defeated Akechi at Yamazaki and then Akechi and his leftover forces escaped and headed towards Kyoto. And as they were passing through an area of Kyoto called Ogorisu, which was about 13 days later, and as I say, it's just down the road from, from where I live here, he was ambushed by bandits. There's some stories that they were local farmers and some that they were bandits who were in allegiance with Oda Nobunaga and they'd been set up to catch Akechi. But what happened as they were going through the bamboo forest is that the leader of the bandit group by the name of Nakamura Chobe, he stabbed and impaled Akechi Mutsuhide with a bamboo spear. And Akechi Mutsuhide's blood and guts all tumbled out onto the ground. And there's a spot where it's said to have actually happened where his blood and guts fell on the ground. And it's said that ever since then, no bamboo has grown on that actual spot. And I have to say that when I visited, there is no bamboo. There's bamboo in other parts, but on that actual spot where they say it happened, there is no no bamboo. And Why? Bamboo, yeah, there, bamboo is one of those plants that it's difficult to stop it from growing. The ghost element of the story comes after that in that. So what happened was usually if you kill your enemy in those times, you would chop up their head. And it would quite often be put on a spike, put on public viewing as a warning. So Mitsuhede's soldiers took Ted to safety so that the enemies couldn't get it and left the body there. And it is said that if you go to that area now on a rainy night from the bamboo forest, you can you can hear the screams of the samurai in the forest as they're being attacked by bandits. And it's guessed that those screams are Akechi Mitsuhide. It's almost replaying that attack that ambush you know hundreds of years later it's uh, 450 years down the road and still still it's been replayed over time wow you've got another story that you mentioned that there's a head that's screaming where's my body that's quite a famous one across japan taido no matsukare and again that's that's going back even even further but it's one of those stories that even though it happened over a thousand years ago, there's still sort of ghostly happenings today with that story. So this goes back to the 10th century, the early part of the 10th century. So with Taido no Masakado, around the year 935, he married. And the tradition was that you would move in with your father-in-law and family. And he decided he didn't want to do that. He wanted to set up his own household. And that was sort of a, you know, a dis- disrespectful to the 
father-in-law and, and, and the family. Um, and what started as a family feud turned into a full-blown rebellion, which later turned into a rebellion against uh, the central government in Kyoto to the point where Masakado named himself Shino, which means new emperor. And it actually said, even, even at the beginning of it, there was some kind of strange happenings in Kyoto when, because Taidono Masakado was on, on the other side of the country. He was in an area in the east, and Kyoto is, is more central west of, of Japan. But it said that when he started his rebellion, that great swarms of butterflies appeared in Kyoto, and there was lots of rainbows, and it was all sort of signifying the start of his actions. But he was eventually defeated in 940 at a battle called the Battle of Kojima. And he was beheaded and his head was taken to Kyoto and it was put on display. But instead of decomposing, it stayed the same. And there are even some stories that say that his eyes became fiery. And at night it said that his, his head would start shouting out, where is my body? Where is my murdered body? And he was still angry at, at being defeated. And then eventually the head disappeared. It flew off, it resurfaced at a shrine and then again disappeared and then later resurfaced in a, a small fishing village. And at that time, Tokyo didn't exist. So where it resurfaced, it was a small fishing village in an area which eventually would become part of Edo, which then became Tokyo. So the final resting place of his head was in, in the Tokyo area. And the fishermen who found it, they cleaned up his head and they buried it. Uh, they gave it a small... <laughs> <laughs> um, I just had visions when you said they've, they cleaned up his head, cleaned his teeth and given him a shave. And... <laughs> it sounds pretty much like that, yeah. So they cleaned him up. And... Yeah. <laughs> They buried the head. And then uh, a couple of years later, the story is that this faceless apparition ghost, the, the ghost of Taidon no Masakado, was seen walking around the neighborhood. So eventually they, they tried to appease the spirit by praying to, to the spirit of, uh, of Masakado. And over the centuries, sort of many happenings have been accredited to his his curse, his anger. So in the 14th century, there was a, there was a plague in the Tokyo area in Edo, and that was put down to Masakado's anger, still being not happy that he, he lost his rebellion. And um, so they moved his spirit to a larger shrine to try and appease his spirit, make him happy. And one or two things happened. And, and then in 1923, when there was the great Kanto earthquake, the area where he was, his head was buried, again, there was destruction in that area from the earthquake. And the Ministry of Finance building was destroyed. They had to find a new place for a, a Ministry of Finance building. And they decided to build the new ministry building on location where Taida no Masakado's head had, had originally been, been buried. So anybody who's seen any sort of horror movies when these kind of things happen, building on a burial site, you, you know the kind of things that mm. follow on kind of stories. And it wasn't long before the Ministry of Finance became sick and died. And this was then followed by up to about 15 other Ministry of Finance workers who died from either sicknesses or accidents. Can you imagine being the one that has to go in there to get that promotion? You'd be like, oh, great, yeah, I'm getting promoted. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I don't want to be that. I don't want that position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually they decided we have to move. So they built another building somewhere else, and they gave Taidano Masakado his, his burial ground back. In 1940, which actually was 1,000 years the exact 1,000-year anniversary of Taira no Masakado's defeat at the Battle of Kojima in, in 940, a freak lightning bolt struck the Ministry of Finance new building, which had been rebuilt not too far away, and destroyed the building. Jeez. So 
<laughs> they put it down. It's a 1,000-year anniversary of his death. He's obviously still not happy with us, so he's attacked us again. From then, they gave him a nice tomb. They put spiritual salt on the corners of the tomb, and they would regularly go and, and, and pray at the tomb to Tyler Masakado. And then moving on to 1945, at the end of the Second World War, Tokyo had been pretty much destroyed from the firebombing. The Americans and Allied forces moved in. Obviously, there was rebuilding of the city had to go ahead. And the American authorities decided they were going to build a car lot on the location of Tyler Masakado's burial place. The Japanese authorities tried to convince them that it wouldn't be a good idea, but they decided to go ahead anyway. The bulldozers went in. One of the bulldozers tipped up and the driver was killed. Why? Wow. Uh, <laughs> so they did go ahead with plans, but eventually they gave Taidano Masakado his, his grave back. And that area basically went on to become and, and is today what you would call the Wall Street of Tokyo. It's the finance district. It's busy, it's big office blocks, skyscrapers. It's a very busy area. But in the center of it is this very small square where Taidano Masakado's head is said to be buried. And there's a, a monument, there's a small tomb. One of the local banks even set up a bank account in his name. That's probably a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah. There are stories that people from the bank, they'll send somebody from the bank to say a quick prayer at his tomb once a month. There are people in the office blocks around that area who refuse to have their desk with their back facing him. And a local business group and community group basically are responsible for taking care of the, the grave, the tomb, and making sure it's kept, maintained and cleaned and pay respects to it. And there have been stories that during the construction of the office box around that area in modern times, there have been stories that people who have taken photographs, figures have appeared in the photographs of a man with this sort of very disheveled hair. And they, they believe that could be Taidan or Masakado, his spirit still still standing there, making sure that they don't build on his his ground, keeping his ground safe. It's weird, isn't it, that, you know, you kind of wonder to a certain degree whether there is actually something paranormal going on or whether it is just the sheer fear of people and maybe, you know, their own interpretation of, of a bad event that they will immediately put it on that or whether there is actually something going on. You know, I wonder whether when that digger tipped over and the digger driver was killed when the Americans were building that parking lot, I wonder whether someone from the Japanese authority said, told you so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, th I think there's always going to be an element of something bad happens and it gets accredited mm. to that as opposed to thinking, well, could, could that have been caused by something else? You know, the, the lightning strike on the Ministry of Finance building, it just happened to be 1,000-year anniversary of his death. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because there is the respect element of it, where people mm. are like, well, yeah, opening the bank we're, we're going to do this. Yeah. And, and here, people be like, oh, let's just go see it. And they'd all stand there and try to pick up something off of it and run away with it and... You know, yeah, it, yeah. it is interesting that amongst all of the new buildings and everything, there's that one little bit. Mm. Well, there is, yeah, as you say, there's there's respect and there's also a sense of fear as well. Not far from where I am, there's a, a mountain which, going up the mountain, there's a, an abandoned shrine. It's only been abandoned a few years, but it's already started to 
take on this feel of a, a mysterious place, almost like a scene out of an Indiana Jones movie. Mm. When I was speaking to somebody else explaining, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to go up there and check it out and have a look what it's like. This person said to me, you know, just be careful if any small statues have fallen over or any small shrine monuments have fallen over. Don't pick them up. If you pick them up or you move them, you could be taking the spirit away from it and taking, and it could, you know, as you leave that mountain, it could be coming along with you. So there is, you know, superstitions and, and, you know, respect for what's there and also a sense of fear that you could be taking something away with you as well. So you've got to be very careful. So did you go? Yes, yes. We, I went right up to the top and it was a very interesting walk. It was, there's a place called Fushimi Inari Taisho, probably seen it on TV or heard of it. It's the shrine of the mountain in Kyoto that has all the red painted wooden yes. gates. It's in the same area, but nobody goes to it. But it's actually more interesting. So it's the same kind of walk. It's a bamboo forest that goes up the mountain and there's a shrine going up the mountain. It doesn't have all the red gates the same as uh, Fushimi and Ari, but actually it's it's much more of an interesting walk than Fushimi and Ari. And uh, yeah, I went all the way up to the top, back down again. And then as you come down the other side of the mountain and walk a little bit, bit further, that's where it brings you to the location where Akechi Mitsuhide was, was killed and the, the location of the screaming ghost. So it's it's all connected there. You said that the friend of yours said that if you are going to go up there, you know, be careful not to bring anything back with you. If someone had said something like that here, the response would have been sort of met with, ah, that was so silly, you know, that was so bloody stupid. Do you think that people openly talk about the paranormal and ghosts and spirits in a much more open way and that people aren't sort of like pilloried because of believing in something like that? It's definitely not something to be played with here. You know, in the UK, as I think you mentioned earlier about groups, ghost hunting groups and things like that, there, there isn't really that kind of hobby, if you would call it, that that kind of thing here. It's not something to be made fun of or not really, it's not an adventure or, or anything like that. You mentioned in the pack that you sent us, and I love the little sort of synopsis that you gave us of it. It sounds really interesting. And that is the ghost of the candy store. <laughs> I'm dying to hear this one. Yeah, I mean, that's quite an, an interesting one. And, and to be honest, that story actually does pull in a few tourists. It's It's got a bit of a reputation. So the shop is still there. Probably not exactly the same building. It's probably had some refurbishments over the years. But I, I went to visit that one. And there's been a candy store there for about 450 years. And they claim to be the oldest candy store in Japan. I'm not 100% sure if that's true, but I haven't come across another one to take that claim. But about 400 years ago, late at night, there was a knock on the door. The candy store owner went downstairs and opened the door. And there was a young woman at the door and she wanted to buy some candy. So even though it was late and the shop was closed, he, he sold her some candy, closed the door and she went off and... This happened again the next night. Knock on the door, he went down, same young woman, candy, sold her the candy. And this went on for about a week, the story goes. And eventually he got a little bit curious and, you know, wondered why is she coming to buy candy at almost midnight every day? So he decided to follow her. In the night, he followed her down the road, around a few streets, until eventually she came to a cemetery and she went into the cemetery. So he followed her into the cemetery and she walked through and uh, went to a hill in the cemetery turned around, looked at the shop owner, and then looked down at the grave that she was standing next to and disappeared. Now, at this point, there's two variations on the story. One part of the story is he went over to the grave where she was standing, where she disappeared. 
and he looked down and there was an open grave and there was a dead body of this woman that had been coming to buy the candy and in her arms was a baby alive eating the candy that he'd sold Jeez. Oh, God. <laughs> and the variation on the story is that the woman turned around looked at him and then disappeared and he ran away and the next day he went to the local temple and with one of the monks he went back to the graveyard the cemetery the next day and around that area they got down and they prayed and they suddenly heard the sounds of a baby crying and so they started digging where the baby was crying and they found this grave and they found the woman that had been buying the candy and she was holding the baby alive and there was the candy the general story is that she died the baby was alive and she obviously had to feed the baby and there was a candy store close by so she was giving it candy but you can go there now and you can buy the candy and it's called the ghost candy and some tourists go there to buy the ghost candy and i i did read one report where somebody asked the owner have there been any any more sightings and the response was there haven't been any sightings recently which kind of gives the impression that there were yeah <laughs> yeah that is a horrible thought, isn't it? But an amazing story at the same time. There's something quite poetic about it and yet really harrowing as well. I think that the Japanese, whether it comes from the folklore or the tales or not, I don't know. But even when it comes to the sort of Japanese horror movies, they all seem to sort of like tug at you in a way that the Hollywood movies don't. Yeah, I mean, they do. I don't know if you've seen the series of movies, The Ring, Oh, yes. I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask you about this, right? And and I thought, no, nah, better not, because he might think I'm taking the piss a bit. But I really was thinking, I'm sure that has something to do with Japan. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it was originally a book written by a Japanese writer called Koji Suzuki. I actually had an interesting experience with with the movie myself, which some people would, could say was a little bit paranormal. I lived in London for a good few years. And there was a small independent cinema in Hampstead in North London. And they were showing a double bill, Ring 1 and Ring 2, the, the original Japanese versions. My wife and I and some other Japanese friends, we went along to watch them. We watched both movies and yeah, <laughs> they're quite scary movies. You know, even when there's a group of you watching them, it's uh, really, you know, the hairs on the back of your neck go up at certain times. But after the movie, have you seen the film? Yes, yeah. I mean, anybody who hasn't seen it, you know, there's one kind of plot line that goes through it all that if you receive a phone call and, and there's the noise coming down, the, the, the static noise coming down the phone, that's almost the signal in the movie that you're going to be the next victim. So the phone rings, you pick it up, you hear the, the static, and then the next thing you know, there's the character Sadako crawling out of the TV set to, to scare you to death. So we went to watch the movies and, and then headed off home. It was obviously late at night. And this is no word of a lie. I went to put the key in the door. And as soon as I started to unlock the door, my telephone, which was in the hallway on the other side of the door, suddenly started ringing. Oh, damn. <laughs> I froze. <laughs> you know, slowly unlocked the door and went in. And I can't remember who it was on the phone. I just remember the part of the story where I went to see these movies, got home, and just as I was unlocking the door, the telephone started ringing. You know, Amazing coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been like, nah, we'll just leave that. <laughs> yeah, let it go to answer phone. <laughs> but I, I think that's one of those classic examples where, you know, maybe a coincidence 
which has got no paranormal or strange... If you'd have just gone to watch Toy Story and you come home and your phone's ringing, you wouldn't have thought anything of it. So, yeah, I get what you're saying, yeah. But suddenly that slight coincidence, it suddenly takes on a different background completely. Yeah, there's a lot of scary stories. I mean, another thing, and one which I, I mentioned to you about tunnels in Japan, there's a lot of ghostly tunnel stories in Japan, and they've just made a movie about a famous ghost tunnel. It's not in Kyoto, and it's not one that I visited. But I do know somebody as a guy on in the Kyushu area who does a lot of hiking. He's got a YouTube channel called Kyushu Trail. He goes by the name of Wombat. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> we'll, 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 have to, we'll have to drop him a message now to let him know that you've shared it yeah. on the air. <laughs> so he, he visited this particular tunnel, and the name of that tunnel escapes me right now. But yeah, he has a, a video on his YouTube channel where he visits this tunnel. Now that tunnel is bricked up. You can't get inside. You could probably squeeze in, but yeah, so there's a lot of haunted tunnels in Japan, and I mean, you know, wells and tunnels. And one of the tunnels, which is very haunted in, in Kyoto, is the Kiyotaki Tunnel, the one which I've sent you some details of. And I don't know if you wanted to talk about that one. Yeah, please yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, please do. <laughs> this is the one about the lady wearing white, isn't it? That's the one, yeah, yeah. And as I say, it's called the Kiyotaki Tunnel, and it's close to an area in Kyoto called Arashiyama which is a very, very busy, tourist-busy area. It's got heritage temples, famous to the bamboo forests, boat rides on the river. It's got a mountain where you can go up and feed the monkeys at the top. It's, got, it's one of those areas of Kyoto which you could spend a whole week there, basically. But it's also got one or two haunted places just off the beaten track, and Kiyotaki Tunnel is one of those. It was built between 1927-28, and it was originally part of a railway line, but the railway stopped operating in, in 1944. And it was built by what you would call legal unpaid workers, slave labor, basically. Mm. And a lot of those workers working in harsh conditions, quite a few of them died. And there are stories that ghosts of those workers do roam the tunnel. Obviously, it's said it's at night, <laughs> always at night. The spirits of these dead workers won the tunnels at night. But there's so many stories with it. The tunnels claim that it's about 500 metres long, but it's also reported that it's exactly 444 metres long, which to anybody outside of Japan would probably mean nothing. But the number four can be an unlucky number because the alphabet, the kanji letter for four, is pronounced in the same way as the letter for the word death. Oh, lovely. You've got four or four, the tunnel of death. And so some people are afraid to go through it because of that. But it is it is a working tunnel. It's a one-way tunnel. There's a bus route that goes through it. Around it, there is woodland, which is said also to be a, a known suicide spot. Some people have heard women's screams coming from the woodland around, which is, is thought could be connected to suicides, ghosts of suicides. But because it's a one-way tunnel, there's traffic lights and the stories that the traffic lights change from green to red and, and back unexpectedly. So cars could be halfway through and suddenly it changes and the cars start coming from the other side and cause accidents. And there's also a story that if you arrive at the tunnel and the light is green, that you shouldn't go in because the green light is the spirit in the tunnel welcoming you inside, basically saying, come on, we're, we're ready for you. Come on in. So you should get there, wait for it to turn to red and then wait for it to turn to green again before you go in. I'm glad you said that, because I thought you were going to say, if it's green, don't go in, but if it's red, yeah, take your chance. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I think they'd have a lot of accidents. Yeah, there. I was going to say, so definitely wait for green again. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Are there detours so you don't have to go through the tunnel? Is there another way to get wherever it goes without going through it? There is a way around, and I, I think I would take the way around, but obviously it's a, a longer, longer way. And referring, as you mentioned, about the, the woman who causes accidents, there is claimed to be a woman who dressed in white who stands by the roadside at the entrance of the tunnel and will step out. It's thought that that was a, maybe a suicide of a victim who, who jumped down from above the tunnel and died. And there was one story that I heard about where somebody was, was about to go in on a bicycle and he saw that the car had crashed by the entrance of the tunnel as they were coming out of the tunnel. He stopped, obviously, he was on bicycle and it turned out it was one of his neighbours from the local area. And he got talking to him and the car driver, who was his neighbour, said, I saw a white woman by the entrance of the tunnel turned to try and avoid her and crashed and hit the side. So there are quite a few reports of it. And probably what's scarier is that there's reports of driving through and, and drivers claim to feel winds buffeting the car as they go through. And, and then when they come out the other side, they can see handprints on the bonnet of the car. Mm. So it's been pushing on. The scary tale is that if you look in your mirror as you're going through and you see the reflection of your dead self in the mirror, that you will die in quite horrible circumstances Lovely. shortly after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it would definitely I, go the long way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not a route I've taken. I spoke to somebody directly who had been through it on a bicycle, and he didn't know it was that tunnel when he went through, so he didn't think anything of it. He went through, and there are stories that people say that it's longer one way than the other. And he said that he went through, and then he came back. And as he came back, he thought, this tunnel feels longer and he, he genuinely felt that but there could be an explanation to that in that it's thought that the, the tunnel is on a bit of a slope so definitely if you're on a bicycle it could feel I guess a little bit longer. I was going to ask you actually whether anyone had been through on a bike because I ride a motorbike I know right. that there's some amazing motorbike tours that you can go on in Japan and I was wondering yeah. whether people had been through it on motorbikes and had any any experiences or not. I don't know about experiences with the motorbikes but you can walk through the tunnel as well. Oh uh, no, hell no. I just <laughs> no, it's all right. <laughs> if it seems longer and you're on a bike or in a car, forget walking. No, thank you. <laughs> And it's a very narrow tunnel as well. So if you're walking along or if you're on a bicycle or, or a motorcycle and suddenly a car's coming down, it's a bit of a squeeze to get through. I oh, mean, not, imagine... not for British people. <laughs> <laughs> Bella couldn't believe it when she first came to this country. Uh, the size of the roads, the width of the roads is so much smaller than what they are in America and where we live in South Wales. We've got loads of little country lanes through the valleys and all that sort of stuff. And, and she panics every time she's in the car with me. And she does that thing, you know, where you're sat in the car and you try and make yourself slimmer. <laughs> You also talk in what you sent us there about a taxi driver while we're talking about traveling mm. in 1969 on a, as you say, a cold October night. I don't know if you want to tell our listeners about that. Yeah, sure. Well, that was further north in, in the city, uh, Kyoto, on the famous river, the Kamo River, Kamagawa, that goes through the east side of the, the city. And along the side of the river is a street called Kawabatadori, Kawabati Street. There's an area called Demachianagi, and just south of there, there's always taxis lined up. As it said, on a cold October night in 1969, late at night, one taxi driver, he picked up a young woman. She got into the back. He asked where she wanted to go. She said she wanted to go to a place called Midora Gaike Pond, which is about maybe 15, 20 minutes drive further north from there. 
And that pond itself, again, is another, there's been some reports of suicides there. Even one story of a giant snake in the pond, the stories of spirits coming up from the pond, it's got a lot of tales connected to it as, as it is. So it's not really somewhere that you would want to visit late at night. But obviously a taxi driver went wherever the fair wanted to go. So driving off down the road, the woman didn't say anything at all, sat in silence in the back and then finally reached the destination, turned around to tell her that they were there and she was gone. Nobody in the back of the car, she disappeared and the back seat of the car was wet. Some report was even strands of long hair, but definitely the back seat was wet and the passenger completely disappeared. Connected to that story, Kyoto University Hospital is close by to the point where the taxi picked up the woman. And they found out that there was a young woman who fit the description that had died on that day in the hospital. And it turned out that when they checked that that young woman lived near the pond, so their thinking is, was this the ghost of a woman? She maybe didn't know she was dead. She was just trying to get a lift home. Wow, that's amazing. And basically now the story is that taxi drivers at night in that area, if someone gets in the car and says, I want to go to Midoriagaike Pond, they won't go. Wow, yeah. so it's something that is believed and they're prepared to turn down money. To... Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so I haven't put any of them to the to the test yet. Yeah, that would yeah. be interesting. But you'd have to get a female, wouldn't you? You'd have to get maybe your wife to help you with that or whatever, because if you get in there, they're going to go, I'm pretty sure he's not that woman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were talking earlier about TV shows and things. There is something that they do, as I mentioned, they don't have TV shows where they focus on the paranormal in the same way as maybe you get the most haunted, but there are sections. And quite often they will do a little section where... They'll try and trick maybe a celebrity where the celebrities gets picked up from the TV studio. You know, when they finish their work, they come out. There's always taxis waiting outside to pick them up to take them home. So the celebrity will get into the back of the cab. And it's usually a comedian that they pick. Mm. <laughs> Hopefully they've got a sense of humor. Usually hidden in the front seat is a young woman, long black hair, pasty white face, white clothes, pretending to be a ghost. And they'll drive along for a few minutes and the driver won't say anything and the celebrity will be sat in the back. And then suddenly the person impersonating the ghost at the front will slowly come around and show their face and stare straight at the celebrity and in a kind of ghostly voice say <laughs> something, you know, like, what's your name or something. And the reaction of some of the celebrity passengers can be funny in a way that eventually you find yourself saying, actually, this really isn't very nice. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. Could, they could have a heart attack. And they, they let them go along for a little while, and then the taxi pulls up and they open the back of the car door and the TV camera is in their face, and obviously it's all laughter after that. But uh, <laughs> they do do things like that sometimes. That's amazing. Some of the Japanese game shows and that are known for being a little bit brutal, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the line can be crossed uh, sometimes yeah we see from the west here we see eastern cultures or certainly i do we discussed this off air we're both you and i both martial artists and i don't know if you felt this before you actually went to japan and before you met your wife or whatever but you kind of because of the way we're taught in martial arts it's all about respect you know it's all about authority you know and sort of respecting those who are either older than you or, or got more knowledge than you 
And so when I think about Eastern culture, let's say, the first thing that I think about is respect and order and knowledge. That's kind of what I see. So it's quite interesting, really, that you've got that total opposite, haven't you, whereby the Japanese can just totally let their hair down in a way that maybe we don't. Yeah, I mean, there is that kind of slapstick humour that we have in the UK as well. A lot of the humour is is very, you know, similar in some ways, scaring people to get a laugh. But as I say, sometimes it, it can get to the point where you think someone's going to have a heart attack eventually. <laughs> yeah. Bringing it a little bit more up to date, there was a haunted apartment block that you talked about in 1974. Yes. And again, that was in the same area as the Kiyotaki Tunnel, Arashima. You know, it's, it's a very tourist area. It's a beautiful area, lots of temples. But there's also areas which more of a dark side to it. And this apartment block was built in 1974. And the eighth floor of the block, it said that the owner's daughter committed suicide by jumping from the eighth floor. And residents have reported seeing a girl fitting that description, wandering around the eighth floor even today. There's claims that they've seen a ghost girl jump from the eighth floor. Some people have even said that they've heard the sound during the night of what could be the sound of a body hitting the concrete. Now they're checking to see if someone's jumped, but it's there's nobody there. And they think it's probably the incident replaying again and again and again. And there's also another ghost story outside the building where there was an accident and the ghost of a woman who was killed in the car accident has been seen outside the building. There's stories of poltergeist activity in the basement. Try to do some research on that, but I can't seem to find out exactly what this poltergeist activity is. The building had a refurbishment only in recent years, so it looks like a modern apartment block now. People live there. It's not like a haunted location that people would go there as a you know, kind of dark tourist attraction. If you do enough delving on, on the internet, you can find the name of the place. And anybody who reports on it, they always say, you know, be respectful that people do live here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you never know that there could well be people living there that don't know the history of the place. They could well have just moved in and you don't want to be walking around there. And somebody asks you, what are you doing here? And you explain that you're looking for the, the ghost that wanders around the eighth floor or, or in the basement. How do you think stories like that would affect the property values of those apartments? Do you think that people are scared enough that the prices would be driven down? I know this is just opinion I'm asking you now because I know that this isn't, you know, you're not a real estate agent. There is a business around it, in fact, and there's a law connected to it, which I only found out about in the past few months. If you have a, a house where somebody dies inside the house or, or home, there is a legal requirement that you have to tell the next occupant Why? that somebody died there for you know it doesn't matter how they died whether they died peacefully of old age in their sleep or you know it could be murder or suicide or anything there's a legal requirement that you have to tell them once that one person has been in there the next occupant there is no legal requirement to tell them ah right so it's if they died while they were occupying that house i got you yeah the next person has to be informed it's a legal requirement and there are actually estate agents who rent out or sell premises like this and they advertise them as it's cheaper because somebody died here and you know you can go on their website and they'll show all these places there is a website actually online it's in japanese where you can look at a city or a town or an area and the person who set the website up has actually marked on it where people died and 
in a lot of cases, how they died, where, you know, it could be a fire, it could be natural causes. And there's a Japanese comedian, he's not, not a famous comedian, he bases his routine on, he rents out apartments someone has died in. He stays there for a short time, and then he turns his experiences into a comedy routine. And then he'll move out and go to somewhere else. And he keeps moving around to all these apartments where someone has died to get material for his, <laughs> his stand-up comedy. Well, his material's never going to run out because if there's one thing you can be sure on, people are going to be dying. So, yeah. wow. I wonder if there's something like that that I can look that's translated. I'd be interested to look at that on YouTube or something like that. I'm sure there's, there's something on there with subtitles or something. I think it was the Guardian newspaper that ran a report on it. And there was a video connected to it, but it was all in Japanese with English subtitles. Yeah. But I think if anybody went onto Google and, and typed in Japanese comedian rents haunted apartments, yeah. with a search and they'd, they'd find the video. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. There is a question that I got from a story that we went through earlier, and that was the Tyler No Masakado story, the one where his head is still in that financial district area. Did they ever track down his body? That's interesting you should ask that, because I was reading about that yesterday, oh, right. uh, trying to find out. Apparently, his body was buried somewhere. I can't remember off the top of my head where it was, but yeah, apparently his body oh, was. No pun intended there, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently his body was buried as well. Do you know if there was any kind of paranormal activity around where his body was? I'm not sure about that. I'll have to find out on that one for you. Yeah. Well, okay, if you do find out, let us know. Drop us a line and we'll let our listeners know. Well, if that's the case, they need to put them together and then the dude will just like, be yeah, happy. Cause what's going to happen? Is... The world would end, wouldn't it? You know? <laughs> yeah. You suddenly start... It would, go one way. it would go one way or the other, wouldn't it? <laughs> is yeah. it? Exactly, yeah. Is it either going to be very good or very bad? You know, it's the do not. It's the button that says do not press, you yeah. know? <laughs> Philip, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Tell our listeners about where they can find more of your work. Yep, so the books are called Hidden Path, Walking Historical Kyoto. There's three volumes out at the moment. I'm just working on volume four, which should be available in about a month's time. The website is www.hiddenpathkyoto.com and there's links on there where to get the books. They're available, ebook, paperback from all regions of Amazon. And also, if anybody is interested in a guided walk of any areas in Kyoto, that's also something's available as well. That's definitely something that I would be interested in, personally. I would love to ask them when we can afford it. Yeah, like um, never. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's a real dream of mine to go to Japan. It really, really is. And yeah, so if, if we get the money together at some point, we will definitely be taking you up on that. Your website, I have to say for our listeners, is absolutely stunning. It's really beautiful. You really are capturing the, the real essence of Japan and, and the areas that you're in. Thank you. And if you do ever make it over, then we can have a wander down Kiyotaki Tunnel. Yes, let's do it. I'll, I'll wait. Better be outside. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Even if nothing happens, we'll just make up a weird story to tell her when we <laughs> yeah. come back out the other side. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, Philip, thank you very much. Good luck with everything you're doing. And please do, if you want to come back at any point, if you've got any other stories that you want to share with us and our listeners, then please do feel that you can get back in touch and come back on with us. Definitely. Well, I mean, you know, my main area has always been history, but Kyoto is over a thousand years old. And it's inevitable that while you're researching history, you come along these tales from history that have got a ghostly or paranormal connection. It's, it's just all there. Absolutely. Thank you once again. Thanks.
Thank you. Pleasure speaking to you both. Take care. Bye.